Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast Show. This is your host, Adam Force. Hope everybody is doing well and staying safe. I hope all of you entrepreneurs are thinking like entrepreneurs, being problem solvers during this time. Extend your empathy to your customers. What are the new problems they have and how can you help solve them? All right, we have some new dynamics here to face these days. Um, If you missed it last week, uh, we had an episode where Amy and I were talking about how to effectively set up some systems and things you should be thinking about, um, all related to this situation we are in with COVID-19. So if you missed that, you can go back and check it out. I think there's a lot of good nuggets in there for you. And we're going to have more talks from Amy and I coming uh, as well. Um, So guys, today we're talking with uh, Ken Costels. So he is the founder of Monolith Growth. All right. And they're focused on helping e-commerce and SaaS businesses really kind of scale up their revenues, get more ROI. ROI and leads and things like that. So we have a very um, good conversation coming here because we're going to talk about the what he's seeing in the market. He was um, he was on the Forbes 30 under 30, and he's done a lot of great work over the past uh, you know since he started this company. And <clears throat> so he's seeing a lot in the market working with clients and how things are shifting based on COVID and all this kind of stuff. So there's going to be a lot of great insights for you to consider here uh, when it comes to running your business online and how things are changing. So hang tight, and we're going to talk about. About those things with Ken. If you guys have not yet, you know, this is the time. If you're not already digital and you're losing money with your business and you want to get digital, um, we want to hear from you, right? So we have so much insights to share about creating systems online, like using the power of your story to really get out to the world and create those digital revenue streams the right way. And that is through uh, our program, the Captivate Method. So this is the time, guys. Like there's no time like uh, the present, right? So you want to get out there. You want to start thinking about how you can serve your audiences and kind of compensate for any loss losses in revenue um, with brick and mortar or on the ground doing, let's say, trade shows, and now you're losing you know, business as an e-com company, um, you know, we want to help you really get your marketing strategy, right? So storytelling is your marketing and marketing is your business, right? So we, we've got to empower those things and set it up in a way that applies to the business and really can systematically get leads and sales. And that's what we want to help you with. So this could be opening up a whole new world of revenue for you. Um, and we just need to consider what are the steps we got to take and, and, and how do we do it? So that's where our community comes in. We have tons of great coaches and we have a great community of people to get involved with who are all here to make the world a better place. So it's a great tribe to be part of. You can very simply go to our website, changecreator.com. You just go right on the top right of the menu and you say, join Captivate, get on the wait list. We'll start sending you some emails to update you. And then you're going to get an invite to join the program uh, to actually watch our masterclass because we want you to have a chance to learn what this is all about and how it can help you so you can decide if this is a good fit and you want to be part of our community. So guys, definitely swing by changecreator.com. We have a lot of fresh content on there and get on the wait list for the Captivate Method. Um, this is such a great opportunity for you right now. All right, guys, so without further ado, we're going to jump into this conversation with Ken and we're going to talk about the climate of marketing and what's going on and um, I hope you get a lot out of it. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. This is always a big help. And um, that's it, guys. Let's dive into this conversation with Ken. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to do it. 
Hey, Ken, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today, man? Uh, doing great. Uh, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great as well. Um, navigating these unique times as, a, yeah. as during the time of this call here that we're recording. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, let's like let's dive into this thing. Uh, you know, one of the things that caught my eye is that you were on the Forbes 30 under 30. Is that right? Yep. Yep. That's correct. Uh, I was in the list uh, last year, 2019. Okay. And that's for your marketing and advertising work that you've been doing. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's correct. Uh, through my marketing agency. Cool, man. Cool. Let's let's dive into how you got there real quick. So just why don't you just give people a little bit of background um, about what you're working on, what's what you're all about? Sure. No problem at all. Um, so just a quick background. Um, so I run a what I would call as a ROI focused digital marketing agency. Uh, so what we do really is that we help specifically e-commerce and lead generation businesses uh, uh, get more revenue and get more leads um, online. Uh, so it can be done through Facebook ads, Google ads, landing page optimization or conversion rate optimization. But really what we do is that we try to find the right marketing model that fits uh, for your business. So for each and every client that comes into Monolith, uh, we normally develop a custom plan for them and we use that custom plan to drive results uh, specifically ROI for them uh, so that's the main thing um, that we're doing and um, luckily enough I got into Forbes uh, for my work um, in that company yeah so how does that how does that play out how do you get noticed is there any tricks you can share about getting on that Forbes 30 under 30 list yeah um, so I think uh, I did a couple of things I think about in about 2018 um, so what I did was that I actually not really spied but I, I took a look at the profiles of previous agency owners so I took a look at businesses that have a similar business profile as mine and tried to identify um, what was in their profile so for example I was looking at uh, these agency owners in the US and in the Europe and what I noticed was that uh, first they talked about um, their uh, client list, specifically their biggest clients. So normally it should be a brand name client. I think that's one factor. And the other factor is that uh, there should be what's called a signature campaign, meaning was there one particular client where you drove tremendous results on? Right. And given that, uh, what we did was, because uh, normally we, we focus on uh, SME uh, companies. So for the very first time, I actually reached out to a large enterprise client and it was pretty much a near break even type of deal. But the reason why I took it on anyway was with the intent of number one, doing extremely well for them and then use the case study as part of the pitch for Forbes 30 under 30 because because that was point one. The point two is uh, in Forbes 30 under 30, you can actually self-nominate. So you don't have to wait for someone uh, to nominate for you. You don't need any special connection whatsoever. You can nominate yourself. So based on those two things, I was able to get in luckily and uh, I think the formula worked because uh, I was able to get in last year. <laughs> nice job, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at your website and stuff. And so tell mm-hmm. me, like, I, I'm curious just how you see marketing evolving. I mean, we have on the line listening is, you know, we have early stage entrepreneurs and beyond and, you know, I mm-hmm. think the, the climate of marketing and technology is obviously always changing pretty rapidly. Obviously, right. we have the COVID-19 impact. And I'm just curious, one, just how you see things changing and maybe any anything you're noticing with clients and how you're helping them pivot based on some of the changes with COVID on top of everything else. Sure. Um, so I think uh, I'll kind of I'll split it into uh, two categories. Um, one is 
the category of businesses that are online to begin with, so specifically e-commerce stores, SaaS businesses, etc. Yeah. And then there's category two, which is the offline uh, businesses. So first for the online uh, businesses, uh, what I've noticed is that there's definitely a trend towards uh, cheaper goods uh, and more essential goods. So what we've noticed is that at least for uh, the food slash clothing related clients, sales are up tremendously. So we have one client in particular, um, they sell cakes. And in terms of the ROI that we are producing for them, well, I'll start with the previous ROI. So the previous ROI prior to COVID-19 was about a five to one ROI, meaning for every dollar that was spent, they're getting $5 back. Now, during COVID-19, it is crazy. So we're now getting 13 to one ROI. So that's more than double uh, in terms of revenue. Uh, So I think that's one big shift that we're seeing. And we're seeing similar patterns, um, not at the same level, across apparel uh, and other essential goods. So I think that's one big shift that I'm seeing in terms of digital. Uh, The other shift that I'm seeing um, also for the online clients is a general trend towards uh, cheaper goods, but more goods in one basket. Uh, So for example, we have this client, they are in the hiking slash outdoor space. So they sell like 200 to $300 bags, hiking bags, uh, but they also have a cheaper variant. So something in the range of $50 to $70. Now what we're seeing is that average order value, which is basically the value of a basket, it goes lower, but the quantity of goods is higher, meaning they're buying more of these $50 and $70 goods as compared to the larger Uh, SKUs. Mm. And at the same time, in terms of the revenue, it's still flat. So maybe a slight increase, but generally there's no huge impact when it comes to e-commerce, especially if you're in the, you know, essential goods uh, type of space. Um, But overall, what I'm seeing is that there's a trend towards finding better value um, for every dollar that you spend. And what that specifically means is that more people are buying the cheaper stuff, but with, but using a bigger basket. So I think that's for category one, which is uh, for yeah. businesses that are already in digital. For the offline people, what I'm noticing there is that they're trying to disrupt themselves. So they're trying to make their own digital platforms. So I think one interesting thing is that uh, we have one client, um, what they are is basically a space. So imagine a space where they rent out um, small spots for small food business owners, basically a bazaar, okay? So there's a bazaar and they rent out spaces for small uh, food uh, business owners. Now, because of this thing that's going on, it's wiped off, right, uh, momentarily. Now, what they did was that they tried to develop what's called a cloud kitchen concept. And what that means is that uh, they tried to pool all of the food providers or the um, uh, stall owners in their area. And what they're doing is that they hired their own logistics team. Well, it's not really a proper logistics team. It's basically like a dude that's part of the team who's who's now delivering orders for the company. So it's a repurposed hire. And what's happening is that they're offering certain dishes at certain locations. So for example, you know, j- just choosing a random city. So say, for example, in Dallas, uh, uh, in a specific district in Dallas, uh, they can sell specific dishes. And then in another district, they can sell uh, a different set of dishes depending on who lives um, in that district, right? Mm, so yeah. that's what they're doing right now. And the way that they are accepting orders right now is through uh, Facebook Messenger. So uh, there's no like proper e-commerce 
type of website uh, as of yet. It's something that is uh, being built along the way. And even then for their special e-commerce site, they're just using a basic theme in Shopify and they're using, or at least I'm seeing other businesses use that to accept orders. So I'm seeing people uh, going from a bakery to a website that just sells groceries. And beyond the restaurant or the food space, I'm also seeing people like fitness, um, or not not fitness, but uh, um, personal trainers um, uh, who used to work at a gym. I'm seeing people uh, who used to work in dance studios. They're now transitioning to, digi- to digital, but um, they're doing it in two ways. One is through like personal training. So in my own Facebook, I'm actually seeing people posting uh, like, like literal Zoom screenshots of themselves working out uh, <laughs> with the personal trainer, right? Uh, at the top right area or the top yeah, left area. Yeah. So that was very interesting. So I'm seeing that trend for personal training uh, for dance um, studios or for dance lessons. And I'm also seeing some people trying to sell some courses here and there. But uh, the more, I would say, one to one model is working out better. So people are hustling, man. Uh, yeah, so yeah. at least something is happening for them. But uh, the impact is still crazy, but I'm very, very glad to see um, some of these things are going on, at least in the offline space, because these guys are the most affected uh, with this situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because there's a lot of support out there to to go digital. I see other groups like taking, like, for example, one of our friends in our network runs like mm-hmm. he helps people with Instagram selling. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, he's like, hey, I know that, you know, you're used to going to um, what do you call it? Like sell your art at like, you know, different like trade shows and like all that, like on the on boots on the ground kind of work. And he's Mm -hmm. speaking directly to these audiences who now need other ways to sell their products. And so Mm -hmm. using his product as that solution. So sometimes you can like make a pivot, but other times it's really just are you shaping your your marketing narrative to speak to those people and attract them right right definitely Um, and i think the best way to frame the situation is that um like before uh because for me entrepreneurship is all about solving problems so prior to covid uh there were 100 problems and maybe 99 of them were solved now with COVID-19 and now with this new normal uh the number of unsolved problems has increased so maybe from 100 problems is now 150 problems but instead of one unsolved problem it's now 51 unsolved problems <laughs> so there are new opportunities for people to tap into because there's a lot of people who are not used to the whole remote work engagement they're not used to remote software um, they are bored at home um, so cakes and many other joyful things are trending higher so there's definitely new problems that can be solved and I think there's one interesting as well because another big business that or another industry rather that's impacted is the hotel industry and from what i know in philippines um there was this one hotel that converted the space into a commercial space uh, because there are some businesses that can still operate uh so they're trying to accept some like commissaries uh, to use uh, or like accepting some people to cook in their kitchen uh-huh. they uh, for a certain cost they are accepting some commercial businesses that is doing outsourcing services specifically customer service and they're letting them work in one of their rooms so people are repurposing to handle new types of problems right so i think people are like trying to figure things out along the way uh but yeah i think the main point really is that there are new problems to solve and i think 
our job right now as entrepreneurs is to find these new problems and look at ourselves what we have like what do we have as skills what do we have as uh, talents as resources and then try to kind of match the two right so new problem this is what I have what's a good new business idea that I can pursue to solve that newfound problem yeah no it's it makes a lot of sense and you know my co-founder Amy and I just had our little, uh, a Facebook live session where we were talking about how important mm-hmm. um, the emotional talents intelligence factor is right now of empathy right right and mm-hmm. really just putting yourself in other people's shoes because to your point there is a whole new world of problems we have to now consider for our clients and customers and people that we help right so now they have different problems and it's like yeah. how do we reshape what we're doing and you know I, I don't know if about you but I I see a lot of people getting into a panic and mm-hmm. um you know because yeah money goes uh, out the door and stuff like that but at the end of the day we keep reiterating what you said we're entrepreneurs mm-hmm. we are problem solvers so just take a step back stay calm put yourself in their shoes and then either look at what you sometimes you can help people with a pivot that really isn't going to be a huge change for you um Mm -hmm. others you may have to pivot a little bit more but i think to your point it's just really like understanding this new set of problems and coming up with these solutions right yeah definitely and i think what what has also helped me and what has helped comfort me um during this phase is just realizing that this is not the first time that we're having a recession, right? So uh, there were things that successful entrepreneurs did in 2008. There's something that successful entrepreneurs did in 2001, in 1987, and then far back uh, from that. So what I tried to do was that I just tried to kind of search around online, um, see what some other companies have done before in 2008 uh, that have helped them manage uh, through this recession. So looking at new ways to optimize for costs, like for example, what I'm seeing is that uh, at least for some of the big, bigger companies, um, they try to switch from labor to automation, for example. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one a big trend that I'm seeing. And another trend that I'm seeing is that uh, you try to figure out what is the ROI of each and every piece of expense that you have cut off all the ones which are not making money and reinvest everything into sales, marketing, and R&D. Yeah. I just read an article yesterday from Bain & Company, which is this management consulting firm. Uh, they, they said there that in 2009, um, Samsung in particular did that process which I mentioned and they reinvested everything into R&D and they pirated people from large um, consumer goods companies like L'Oreal. So they got all of their best marketing talent. So in other words, they invested in sales, marketing, and R&D. And what resulted from that is the Galaxy series that is so popular today. So that launched in the middle of 2009. Mm. So I think... So I think if you just reframe the way you think and just realize that this is not the first time the human race has faced, or not the human race, but entrepreneurs in general has faced this uh, problem, just look for inspiration in 2008, 2011, and just try to figure out what other business owners have done before to manage the situation. Yeah, that's a good tip to just look back at other points in time where we face these types of shifts. Um, I mean, it does happen, (laughs) and we all kind of just have to to put our best foot forward there. Um, right. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious too, like are you seeing, you know, for yourself and the companies you support, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I mean, I honestly see a lot of good uh, positive results here because we see people pushing outside of what they would normally do. And when this is all over and said and done, they probably are going to end up with different revenue channels that have expanded their business in the long run. 
Yeah, definitely. So uh, the Cloud Kitchen um, story that I mentioned earlier is actually one of my clients, and I was like helping them out in terms of setting that up. Uh, we're also seeing a another restaurant business uh, that also shifted online. So it's actually a catering business, not really a restaurant. So they have a restaurant, they also have a catering business, but their catering business is much larger. Uh, and since it's Easter, they just realized that, hey, maybe we can sell these uh, large trays of food um, to people uh, who want to prepare some food for Easter. So that's working out well for them. So now, so they've now expanded the revenue channel, even for me. So even for me, while I am in digital and I have the privilege of being digital, which means uh, thankfully I'm not as impacted, I'm still also looking to disrupt myself. Yeah. So I'm now looking at more stable digital revenue streams. And what I mean specifically is pure digital place like software, online courses, and other similar mediums. So I think in the past week, uh, because I'm not the type of guy who usually does webinars. So for the first time I did a <laughs> webinar um, for, for, the, for like about 15 minutes because I think before that I was pretty much, uh, I was lucky enough to get a lot of referrals uh, for my business. But now with this whole situation, I'm not trying to do more marketing for myself. Uh, I'm now, trying to pilot a new software that we plan to sell. And I'm also looking at other software businesses to pilot as well. So I'm also trying to disrupt myself because I also realized that, hey, sure, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm in the digital space, but it's only one revenue stream, right? Which is digital services or the digital agency business. Yeah, It's going to be wise for me to also diversify and look into other formats, such as an education format via online courses, or maybe uh, a, uh, tooling formats such as software and many other ways uh, to serve uh, our customer base better as well. Yeah, yeah. And so how has that progress been going for you? Uh, I think in terms of uh, internal progress, uh, it's doing great. Uh, primarily because uh, I think the way that we are approaching it is that we try to do a hybrid version first. So what I mean specifically is that for our existing clients, I try to figure out like what they want automated. So for example, we have this uh, e-commerce client that wanted their logistics automated. So instead of an order manager like pushing buttons um, in the back end of Shopify, we have built an automation tool for them that automatically um, you know, does the logistics for them. So I think that's one, one thing. Another thing is an automated dashboard, uh, which specifically means it helps one of our clients get data from various sources, from Facebook, Google, yeah. and all other channels, and then it will output a um, you know a certain set of metrics that is custom for them. So we can't use the traditional dashboarding software like Scifi, Clipfolio, and all that. And instead, we had to build something from scratch, and we had to call the APIs through code. So we're getting there. I think at the very least, we have a hybrid solution. And I think the next step for us is to make it a pure software solution instead of a hybrid software and labor type of solution. So you're doing custom, is this internal development or were you able to like outsource that to a team or something? But it sounds like you're doing development yourself one way or the other. Uh, yes, so I actually know how to code. Um, and I think <laughs> for a very short time, we offered some web development services. But when I tried to sell it and when I served some clients before with that, um, it was a uh, it, it was very difficult to manage because it's an entirely new business in itself, right? So yeah. I decided to focus purely on digital marketing. And the only avenue where I offer some web development is if it's related to conversion rate optimization. So meaning if there's a custom pop-up that they want, if they want 
a uh, marketing dashboard. That's something that we can offer. Yeah. Logistics automation is something that I did heavy research on. And if I could do it myself, and if I could pilot it, because I did the pilot first before committing, uh, then I sold it. So I'm thinking piece by piece because because the reason why I learned how to code, I think in 2016 or 2017, so I took a three month bootcamp. Okay. So the reason why I took that bootcamp was because I wanted to build a SaaS uh, or a software as a service business yeah. for myself anyway. So that's why I learned that skill and, I slow, and I'm slowly building that skill over time uh, through helping out my existing client base. Cool, I like the initiative. Um yeah, I mean, that kind of skill set does come in handy for sure. Even when you're working with others who are doing development, it's good to have a base knowledge just so you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, so um, I, I noticed, too, you do a lot of support in the e-commerce space. So I want to just kind of talk about e-commerce uh, a little bit. Um, sure. You know, you support people by, you know, driving up ROI, obviously something everybody wants. Um, and mm -hmm. also that probably starts with more uh, c higher conversion rates and leads. So. I'm wondering Correct. if you could tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the e-commerce space on, you know, how we're, what are some of the things that are a common problem for these sites that need to um, kind of be rethought um, with your support? Now, you don't have to give us all the secret sauce or anything, but trying right. to give people with e-commerce stores some tips and ideas about where things might be going wrong, why they might have low conversions, and maybe some ideas on what they should think about. Okay, sure. Um, I think my main philosophy when it comes to approaching e-commerce clients or even any client in general is to actually start with a wide base of ad copies and ad sets or targeting options to test. And what I specifically mean is that uh, whenever I audit an existing e-commerce store, they normally only have one type of ad copy or one type of creative that is uh, being launched. Okay. Um, and the problem with that is that um, you don't, you're pretty much putting all of your eggs in one basket, right? Because uh, you're you're betting everything in this single campaign and it's either success or failure. There's only two outcomes. And what we do is that we try to test out a wide variety of ad copies and creatives. And the way we think through it is that we try to think in terms of different target markets. So even if, say for example, um, in the CrossFit space. So say, for example, you're selling supplements uh, specifically for CrossFitters. We don't lock ourselves down to just a CrossFitter space, but we also try to target uh, the strong men or the strong women. So people who like lift really, really heavy weights and go to competitions. Yeah. Uh, we also try to target runners. We also try to target um, executives who want better performance and that's why they take a supplement. And we also try out um, other target marks as well. But our normal standard is that we need to have at least four different target markets. Okay, mm -hmm. And these target markets should be completely different from one another. So, th so that's the starting point. And after that, what we're going to do is that we're going to target uh, different um, interests or different targeting options for each persona. So for example, uh, if we're targeting a CrossFitter, uh, we should target the, um, the the CrossFit event. Um, I forgot the name, but I think it's a, uh, I forgot the second word, but it's CrossFit something. So it happens uh, early on in the year. Okay. We also target influencers um, in the CrossFit space as well, but our standard is to have three. So, uh, sorry, four rather. So we'll have like four targeting options for each one. So what happens is that for 
target markets times four targeting options equals 16 different varieties of personas, <coughs> target markets, yeah. uh, and targeting options. Um, and there's also another piece as well, which is for each uh, persona, there's also unique ad copy as well, right? Yeah. Because the way you talk to runners is should be completely different than that of CrossFitters, from strongmen, etc. Right. So what happens is that we have a huge variety of target markets and ad copies. And what happens after a testing phase, which usually takes a week or two, uh, we will be then be able to see what type of ad copy and what type of um, persona works better than the others in terms of ROI. So say for example, uh, for runners, what works for them is pain-based copy, like we lead with the pain. Um, and then maybe for CrossFitters, what works for them is review copy. Uh, maybe for them, influencers is very important as part of the ad copy and they need to be featured there. So we get to see what works well in different niches. And what happens with that is that we get to iterate, evolve it over time, and that results in improved ROI. And if something fails, that, let's say it's below standard uh, or it's below the target, so say the target is five to one ROI, and it only produces three to one ROI, then we just kill it. Yeah. Right? So that's how we produce results because we put a lot of time and investment in the testing phase. Yeah. And that's why we drive improved ROI for our clients. Yeah, but I mean, so let me take that a little bit further. Um, so that's mm -hmm. on the front end, uh, so basically top of funnel when it comes to ads. And, right. you know, we always talk on our end about, you know, having, like, here's the thing, like, you can run all the ads in the world, and if you're not set up on your, uh, wherever you're selling, right, could be a Shopify store or whatever your website is, um, mm -hmm. to optimize those leads, right? So like you're you're gonna fall short. So like there is that one getting the ads to work and and convert to yep. the the lead, but then actually having yourself set up to get conversions and sales on the website, not only immediately mm -hmm. but over the long term. So any thoughts mm -hmm. just on you know like for example. A lot mm -hmm. of websites in e-commerce will have a, right when you get to the site on the top of the homepage, it'll talk about, you know, get a discount code or whatever. Um, right. Do you find that effective or do you find that you become a, a, a discount brand all of a sudden? Like that's how people, that's the only time people will shop from you now is if you're like, they see you as a discount brand, like stuff like that. I'm always curious about in the e-commerce world. Um, so for that particular piece, uh, like having a discount upfront, uh, that's actually not a problem from what we have seen. Okay. Um, although it, I think the correct answer is that it depends. Um, it depends because uh, the way I like to classify it is in two different segments. One is in the consumable segment and the other one is in the durable segment. Yeah. So durables meaning furniture, um, uh, beddings, uh, bed sheets, um, like and furniture, yeah. So, yeah. so so the durable space, and then there's a consumable space, which is uh, cakes, um, essential oils, and all that. I have noticed that for the consumable space, um, discounts are generally okay, and it does not harm the brand. Um, so that works out well for them. But I do notice that in for the durable space, it becomes a problem, primarily because they start to expect it. Because the problem with the durable space is that there's no real urgency for people to buy as compared to, let's say, essential oils. There's normally like a relevant pain. So say, for example, you have a headache and you want to try essential oils, then you'll try out the essential oil. Or maybe if you if there is an upcoming occasion, let's say your uh, wife or husband has a birthday and you want to buy a cake, you can buy that cake online. Yeah. So there's like a, like a very... Um, uh, there's a time-dependent need, but for durables, 
if you want to buy furniture, you can like delay it as much as you want because it's there's no real pain uh, or there's no real need to get it soon, right? Unless you're moving in. So what happens there is that if you provide a discount, especially in the durable space, people tend to depend on it too much. So I do see that the percentage of people who buy with a discount in this space is about 50% of users mm. uh, in the durable space. But for consumables, it's much less, like 20 to 10%. So what we normally say to our clients um, who are in the durable space is to try to figure out uh, a different um, way to incentivize people. So for example, a good way to incentivize people is to have a club membership. So if you're part of the club, which is a yearly membership, then you can get access to these discounts. I mean, notice that uh, while, um, because, and what we notice is that the lifetime value is really high because since they're now a member, they now have in, an incentive to keep buying some more um, from that store yeah. uh, if it's in a durable space. So that's one model. And the other model is to have some sort of raffle. So for example, if they buy at least, say for example, uh, $10,000 worth of goods or $5,000 worth of goods, then they will get a trip or some sort. So when they do provide discounts, it's normally like a really, really high value discount or you need to like commit a lot to get that. Mm. Um, so at least that's the way that they do it. Because the thing is, it, it, there's a big difference because as compared to website that offers 10% discounts all the time, it feels a bit cheap, uh, especially in the durable space. But if you do something like a, like a club membership, or if you do a raffle that has a high cost of entry, like $5,000 to get access to a ticket, then the conversation shifts a bit. The principle is the same. The marketing principle is the same, which is to provide like a value to the consumer, but it's done in a different way that resonates with the target market that they want to go after. Yeah, I like that. And it doesn't devalue your brand, right? So you're kind of right. keeping the integrity because, you know, well, you, you might have a very low key transactional brand, but if you don't and you want to keep certain integrity behind the value of it that was always something I thought about and I see it all the time like of how these e-commerce brands are doing that and sometimes you know it could be a major brand that already has a lot of trust and brand equity and they don't do it or smaller right. brands they tend to like like you don't want to reek of desperation either right it's not <laughs> like anything yeah, yeah. to get a sale and then all of a sudden your brand is seen as and I always thought like they're going to be seen as a discount brand so uh, these are good tips I like the club membership the raffles there's other w incentives basically you're saying that you can exactly. use in place of just that that low hanging fruit of a discount. Correct. Gifted yeah. purchase also works very well. What is it? Uh, a gift with purchase. Oh, so if you buy like a, yeah. if you buy a bag, then you get a free. Um, I don't know, like a bottle or something. So some yeah. so some item that also resonates well with the target market. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, and, and being somebody in the marketing space, I'm curious uh, how important the process of storytelling has been to help clients increase their leads and sales? Uh, I think storytelling is extremely important, especially if you are a um, independent uh, e-commerce brand uh, as compared to a retailer. So what I mean by these two is that a retailer sells uh, well-known brands like Nike, Adidas, and all that. So uh, for them, you don't have to do storytelling as much because uh, the brand equity is so strong uh, the, the the brand name will help in terms of the sales process. But if you're an independent brand uh, with your own, like, uh, uh, yeah, if you have your own brand, then storytelling is extremely important. And at least on our end, when we write copy for our clients, both on a landing page and 
on the ads, we try out different angles like a pain-based angle or a worldview-based angle or a proof-based angle, all sorts of angles. And yes, to your point, storytelling is extremely important. And I would say uh, if I were to rank all of the marketing elements in terms of helping clients get traction online, copywriting is definitely number one. Copywriting or storytelling. So I would bucket the two. Uh, that would be number one. And all of the other crazy tactics in terms of email automation, ad optimization, etc. those are secondary to uh, the right storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. That's that's something that we always try to, you know, educate our, our members and audience about. Um, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's like having the fuel for the car. Like everybody wants the tactics, like all the pieces that put the car together. But then when they don't have the strategy, the stories, the insights to really, you know, attract the audience and, and be clear yeah. and effective in their communication, it always falls short. So we got to make sure we have that marketing strategy, right? Yep. Yep. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. So, what else is uh? So, what's going on here? I want to be respectful of your time. So, what is coming for you down the road? And I want to make sure you give a shout out. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of insights and expertise to to offer people. So, if somebody wants to find you, learn more, maybe you can do an audit for their business. Like, how do they reach you? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Sure. Um, so, uh, so they can reach out to me. Again, it's completely complimentary or free. Uh, you can go to monolithgrowth.com. So, monolith and growth, so monolithgrowth.com. And right there, there's a a free marketing audit button and you can reach out to me and I'm more than happy to give you insights. Uh, And it's not just like a quick call or anything like that, but it's a proper audit. So there's going to be 20 to 30 slides, uh, totally custom fit for you because the idea of that audit is that that serves as the uh, foundation um, if we do decide to work together. Yeah. Uh, and, and if we don't, then at least you have a great custom plan that you can use on your own. So it's totally like no strings attached. Mm. Excellent. Very cool. All right, guys. Um, I think that's it. It looks like they have a lot of good stuff. So you can check them out. Again, it's monolithgrowth.com. It's, that's spelled M-O-N-O-L-I-T-H. Okay, monolithgrowth, all one word. Um, Ken, really appreciate your time today. Congrats on all the success and the things that you uh, have going on. And just like hearing how you're pivoting and supporting clients is exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Appreciate you too as well. That's Thank all you for, for this me. episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 